0: Good morning, everyone. It's about time to begin this morning. We'd like to welcome each and every one to service this morning. We'd like to invite you back this evening at 6 p.m. That's seven and a half hours. Vacation Bible School begins, will be this week. If you're in the area and you'd like to stop by, we'll be here tonight through Thursday evening. Tonight's 6 o'clock, right? And there's 7 o'clock Monday through Thursday. 6.30? 6.30, sorry. Just a couple things before we begin this morning. If you haven't picked this up for communion, if you want to do so, or somebody hold your hand up. They'll be passed out to you. I was mentioning it to Brian. If somebody holds your hand up, he said, well, we've been calling it the walk of shame for getting to come back, and everybody jumps up and runs back and get this before communion. But if you can remember, or if you need one, hold your hand up, and we'll be glad to get you communion. We're 100% this morning. Good, But anyway haven't been doing that and we were out of town a couple weeks ago and they did it where we were attending church and I thought well that's a good idea (laughs) so anyway if you need one just raise your hand we'll be glad to get you one it's good to see Eloise here this morning the the pandemic has been difficult on everyone in a different way and, and and we're glad that she's able to be here this morning just the first or second time what she say barbara second whatever but anyway in a while so it's it's good to have her and, and people are able to be out and moving around again also keep clinton and his family in their prayers at the passing of Carol. i'd like to read uh, matthew nineteen verse fourteen before we enter our service this morning But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we're thankful for this beautiful day of life that you've given us for your Son who came and died for us. We're thankful for the warmth and the morning rain and pray that you bless us in this worship service to you. We pray that the things we do are in accordance with your will and pleasing unto you. Be with us, Father, as we go through this service. We ask your blessings on our sick and our shut-ins. Be with those that have lost loved ones. Forgive us. In thy son's name we pray, and amen. Would you stand for the first song, please?
1: If you would, please get a song book. Uh, We won't be able to have the screen this morning. First hymn this morning, number 501. 501. Oh, worship the king. We'll sing all three verses. Oh, worship the king, all glorious
2: above, and grateful they sing, his wonderful. Our shield and defender, the, the ancient of days, of union in splendor and burden with praise. Thy for care, the content reside. It breathes in the air, it shines in the light his dreams from the, the hills land, it descends to the plain and, and sweetly distills in land, the blue and, and the rain. frail children of dust and evil as frail in thee do we trust for by thee to fail thy how can her, How her to the end, I'll make her, defend her, redeemer, and friend. Heard.
1: Please be Next in this morning, number 419, 419. Lord, we come before thee now, 419. Now to this hand, Brother Jeremy Miller will have our scripture reading and prayer.
2: Lord, wake up before thee now, have God be.
3: Pray with me, please. Father, we are so thankful for all that you have given us, all that you do for us. Uh, we are thankful, Father, for well, all that we have is, come, is, is a gift from you, and we're thankful. We're thankful for our, our physical blessings, Father, our homes, vehicles, uh, uh, the wealth that we have in this nation. Thankful uh, more, Father, for our spiritual gifts, for the church, for your word, most of all for your son. We ask, Father, you continue to, to guide us, that you bless us as we serve you. We ask, Father, that you um, comfort those of our number who are grieving, that you strengthen those who are sick, that you continue to grant and bestow on us the things that we need, Father, to, um, to con- continue doing the things that, that would be, bring glory to you. Uh, continue to guide our service father may it be pleasing to you uh, may all that we do father be in accordance with your will forgive us father of our sins when we each struggle we pray for your strength uh, we ask father that you um, help us to overcome temptations we face each day just continue to guide us bless us and we pray in Christ's name amen The scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God.
1: Hymn number 726. 726. We saw thee not. <clears throat> <clears throat> we saw thee not
2: when thou didst come to this poor world of sin and death, nor yet be death. Thy God is all, in that despite. But we believe thy first death from his grief and plains, thou son of God. But we believe thy first death from his grief and plains, thou son of God. We saw thee not when lifted high. I did that lie and sad Nor bury that in glory by. For. with the earth, and there the sun, we gazed not in the open room, where once no my land, nor my way, way, nor saw I the end that the world, nor that beyond the with the chosen view whose holy are neither of sin who raised to death their one in you their to birth all forsaken but
4: we believe that human have lost to the
5: He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquitted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So we opened not his mouth. This was prophesied some 27, 28 hundred years ago. And we know that through the Gospels that over 2,000 years ago, close to it, we have an account of his crucifixion and of this prophecy being fulfilled. We also find in Corinthians that the night and which Jesus was betrayed. He took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to the apostles, and he said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. And after the same manner also he took the cup, and after saying he said, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood which was shed for you. As we partake of these emblems, Let us remember the suffering, the pain. Chris talked in his lesson last week about the scourging and the punishment that he went through. The tearing of the flesh, the shedding of the blood, and the thorn of crowns put upon his head. He did that for me. He did that for you. We all sin. And it's through his shedding of that blood that we have the forgiveness of those sins. Let us pray and give thanks for the bread. Our Father which art in heaven, we thank you that you have given us this privilege to surround this table. We thank you, Father, most of all for your son Jesus and what his death means to us. Father, we just pray that you will bless us as we partake of this bread and we remember the suffering that he gave and what it means for our salvation. We'll be praying in his name and amen. Father, again, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for the shedding of his blood. Father, it's through the shedding of that blood that our sins are washed away. Father, we know that we all sin and we err and just know that that blood continually flows for us. Bless us each one as we remember that, for we pray in his name. Amen. We also have another commandment, and that is to lay by in store as we've been prospering. God has been very good to us. We live in a country where we've been very blessed. And in today's times, and we just wonder what's, what's going to take place tomorrow and what's going to happen. We're not for sure, but we do know one thing for sure. That no matter what happens, God's going to be there for us. So as we give, let's give in a cheerful manner, and let's offer a prayer on that behalf. Our Father, we know that everything we have comes from you, and we're just users of it. We just pray, Father, that you will continue to bless us and just help us, Father, in everything that we say and do. And as we lay by and store, we just pray that this offering will be pleasing to you. We'll be praying in Christ's name. And amen.
1: That's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 408. 408. Low in the grave he lay. <clears> that this time the young children may go to the children's Bible hour.
2: Low in the great he lay, Jesus, my Savior, waiting the coming day, Jesus, my Lord. Up from the great he arose, with the mighty cry, he was a victor of my dark away, away. and he lives, he lives forever, forever with his saints to pray. He
1: Him this morning, number seven hundred fifty four, seven hundred fifty four. When Jesus comes, <clears> this <throat> time is Christ.
6: It's good to see each one of you with us today. I uh, feel bad because I forgot my Moses toga at the house. I really feel like I need it today. But we're in Mark chapter fifteen. We're closing out our series on Mark today. I uh, hope that's the plan. Anyhow. Mark chapter 15 If you read through the last several verses you'll find Jesus' crucifixion given in by Mark in uh, in vivid detail what's interesting is how Mark concludes that little passage here' start in verse sixteen and we're going to go through verse or through chapter 16. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Now, if you remember, look back up a couple of verses before what we just read, and you'll see the women, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Joseph and James, the younger, and uh, Salome, James and John's mom. You see them at the foot of the cross along with several other women who are not named. What's coming is what I'm beginning to refer to as a Markan sandwich. Mark is giving you two stories. He introduces the women and then he goes into this, this bit about Joseph of Arimathea and then he's going to come back to the women in chapter 16. I'm affectionately calling that in my brain, and now out loud, a Mark in Sandwich. <laughs> uh, he does this. He, he sandwiches these, uh, these two stories along with several other stories in his gospel. This is something Mark enjoys doing. He, he wants you to read this story, then read this story, and then follow up that story with the previous story, if that makes sense. <clears throat> He's drawing your attention to those two stories. And what his goal is, is for you to compare the two. Because he wants you to see something that's either alike or dissimilar in, in, these, in these two stories. And so, as, as Mark introduces the women, if you look back up, you'll see them standing at a distance. Now, Mark is, as we've talked about before, a very clever writer who writes... By inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So every word is intentional. Every word is important. And that may be even more pronounced in Mark because he, his gospel is so short. It's the shortest of all four of the gospels. And so every word is important. And so why does Mark take the time to picture these women as standing at a distance from Jesus? Well, I think what he's trying to do here is to separate them from, from Jesus. He's trying to give you some insight into their hearts, into their faith. And so where are these ladies, spiritually speaking? Well, they've been following Jesus from the very beginning. You find that just a couple of verses up earlier. We, we walked through a little bit of that last, last week. But just to get Joseph of Arimathea's story set concrete in our head... I want to back up a little bit and deal with these women for just, just a minute here at the beginning of our time together. They have been with Jesus from the beginning. In fact, James and John were some of the first disciples called, right? He calls Peter and Andrew. He calls James and John as they're fishing. And so we are assuming here, I suppose, that Salome, James and John's mom, has been following Jesus at least as long as her sons have been. And they've been there from the beginning. Mary Magdalene is healed of seven demons fairly early on in the Gospels. Mary, the mother of James, and, uh, and uh, James the Younger, and Joseph, We don't really know very much about her, but Mark tells us that she also has been following all along. And these women are among the ones who financially helped Jesus uh, get his ministry going. It takes, it takes It costs money. To be able to go and do, uh, teach the gospel. And so these women are footing the bill, so to speak, for Jesus' ministry. And they've heard everything that he's taught, right? And they saw everything that he's done, right? Here and see are very big in the gospel of Mark. Uh, he points he points to those two phrases something like 90, 99 times in his gospel. And so... Hearing and seeing are very big in, in, John's go- in Mark's gospel. And so these women have heard everything Jesus has said. They've seen everything that he's done, including the 26 miracles that Mark re- records for us in his gospel, along with a great many more that Mark did not choose to include in his gospel. And so here at the end, when Jesus needs them the most, why are they not close? I like the pulpit being gone so I can do this. That's nice. Why are they not close? They ought to be close, right? They've seen everything. They've heard everything. And with Mark, seeing and hearing everything means you ought to have come to the same conclusion that we've come to throughout this series. Is Jesus God? Yes. Unequivocally, hands down, there is no other answer. He is absolutely God. You can't come to any other conclusion after reading Mark's gospel. It's clear. He's God. What are you going to do with him? Are you going to hold him close? Are you going to keep him at arm's distance? These ladies are still holding him at arm's distance. Do you see that? They're standing a far, far distance off. That's what Mark says. And I think that's what he wants us to see is they're holding Jesus at arm's length, though they ought to be close to him. They've seen and heard everything. They've been there all along. They've even sacrificed for Jesus, right? And self-denial is, in Mark and in all Gospels, in Scripture, self-denial is a key component of what it means to be a disciple. You cannot serve yourself and be a disciple. It does not work like that. You cannot go after your own agenda, live your own life, and be a disciple. It does not work like that. What's it mean to be a disciple? I have to take up his agenda, sometimes at the cost of my own. Even though it's going to hurt me, I put myself in harm's way. I sacrifice myself. Sometimes that doesn't mean my life. Sometimes it just means my pride or my money or my time or my energies. Right? So I sacrifice those things so I can accomplish His agenda here in this place, in our world. That's what it means to be a disciple. These women have started strong, and they saw all the evidence that ought to just have led them even stronger into a relationship with Christ. Their trust, we're talking about trust tonight in the adult class in VBS during our time together, but their trust in Him ought to have been rock solid, so strong that not even a death sentence, could have separated them from him. That's his promise to them and to us, right? Not even death can separate you from me. But here, they allow death to separate them from him. He wasn't moving. You catch that? He didn't move. He doesn't allow even death to separate us from him. But here, in Mark chapter 16, they allow death, the fear of their own death, I'm assuming, to put distance between them and God. So are they still denying themselves? They're not, are they? They started off strong. They started off good. And for some of us, that resonates really loudly, doesn't it? There are occasions when we follow very closely. We submit. We say, Our, my life is yours, God, and I want you to do everything that you want to do through my life. I give it all to you. My friendships, my money, my marriage, my parenting style, everything is yours. My house, all the things that I own, I'm I'm using them for your glory and only for your glory. There are seasons in our life where we all do that, right? And then there are a great many other seasons where we start pulling back, at least on one or two of those strands. I'm going to parent the way I want to parent. I'm going to treat my spouse the way I want to treat them. Right. I'm going to do with my money what I want to do with it. Sound familiar? Denying ourselves on occasion is easy. Denying ourselves all the time is difficult. In fact, Scripture would call it dying to yourself. You crucified your old self. These ladies haven't crucified themselves yet. They've denied themselves on occasion. But now they're pulling back on some of those strands and saying, I I, want to follow, but I want to follow like I want to follow. Now, the only problem with that is it's not their world. (laughs) It's God's world. And so he says, he defines what it means to follow Him. And in His definition of follow means you give everything over. Complete submissions. No questions asked. No complaints. These ladies are pulling back though, aren't they? Look at Joseph of Arimathea though. Also notice that Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where Joseph of Arimathea put Jesus' body. Back up a couple of verses to verse 42. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Joseph has to do this very quickly. The day of preparation is coming. Sabbath is coming. Jesus dies at 3 p.m. Friday night. At 6 p.m. Friday night, three hours from the moment he breathed his last is the Sabbath. It's coming no matter what happens. Sunsets, 6 p.m. Saturday or Friday night, it's Sabbath. You can't do any work on the Sabbath. That include, includes carrying a dead body uh, to a tomb, anointing it with spices, wrapping it in the linen shroud. can't do any of that stuff on Sabbath day. You need to be in your house focusing on Scripture. It's a really novel concept, right? You can't do any work on the Sabbath day. And so Joseph is in a flurry. (laughs) Uh, He's trying to get this done very, very quickly. And so uh, he doesn't do it. He doesn't do all of it uh, exactly the way that needs to be done. And so the women are watching and they're going to follow up later uh, to to anoint Jesus' body and do everything exactly the way it should be done. Now, lest you get too negative of an opinion of these ladies, they are willing to follow up, right? Their faith's not gone. It's not dead. And in fact, if you wanted to think like this, Mark may be, helping us see here three different people. What are the disciples doing? Where are the disciples when Jesus is crucified? John, uh, in his gospel, I think it's his gospel, t- tells us that that he's there at the crucifixion, and he, Jesus looks down and at Mary, and he says, you know, he's your son now, and he looks over at John and says, she's your mom now. He makes the connection there, and apparently history tells us that John took care of Mary until... Uh, until she died, um, but mark doesn 't include those those facts for us, and so Mark is trying to get you to see that all the disciples left him. all their faith was gone. they were struggling, these men who were his closest followers, who had seen and heard everything, who had been part of everything Jesus took. Peter, uh, Peter, James, and John on a multiplicity of events that the other nine didn't even get to see. These guys should have been as rock solid in their faith as anyone, but they weren't. They were the ones who ran away first. And so their faith, if, if you want to put... It on a scale, maybe Mark's trying to get us to see that their faith is over here. They're as far away from Jesus as you can be. They're not even mentioned in the crucifixion. And when they're mentioned in the garden, what are they doing? They're running away from Jesus. Running away from self-denial. They're taking care of number one, aren't they? And so, if you want to put it on a scale, maybe their faith is over here. Maybe that's what Mark's trying to get us to see. And the women's faith... It's more over here. They're more middle of the road. And so for us, maybe that means you come to services on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. The rest of the week, you don't follow all that well. And you struggle. And maybe that's what he's trying to get us to see here. Is that these women's faith is... They want to follow, but they also want to take care of themselves. And we've already seen several times throughout Mark that that can't happen can it there is only two roads there's either complete denial of self or a complete disavowal of Jesus you either live 100 percent in devotion to him all the time self-denial crucifixion of self or you act like a sacrifice meant nothing and you live however you want to live there's no middle there's no middle ground And so really what we could do here is lump the women in with the disciples. One of Mark's favorite things to do is to show people who don't have any background with Jesus, who who haven't seen a great many of the miracles, who haven't heard his teaching, who in a worldly way of thinking about it should not believe, but yet they do. Mark loves to draw that out. You see that several times throughout his gospel. Which is interesting because he's writing to a Roman audience who didn't see Jesus live, right? Who didn't hear any of his miracles, hear any of his teachings, see any of his miracles. And so when he writes to them, he's saying, you can come too. Welcome. Do you believe? What are you going to do with them? Are you willing to sell yourself out so you can have him? Which is an important principle for us too, isn't it? Because we weren't fortunate enough to be able to see Him here on this earth, to be able to touch Him, to, to see physically the miracles we see by faith. That's the same thing that the Romans were doing. And so Mark is saying, welcome, come, come in. If you believe that He is God, and you're willing to give yourself completely over for Him, He welcomes you with open arms. If you're going to say that you follow Him, And kind of only do it halfway. You're you're standing at a distance from them, aren't you? Just like these ladies are here. Meet Joseph of Arimathea in verse 43. He is a respected member of the council. What council? Well, he's a respected member of the Sanhedrin. Now, that's important for us today because the Sanhedrin is the exact same council that put Jesus to death just hours ago. Seventy men sat on that council. Joseph is one of them. Jeremy read for us that Joseph did not vote to kill Jesus. In fact, he voted the opposite way, the righteous way. He voted to acquit because there was no... Guilt in Jesus. This guy, Joseph of Arimathea, is himself looking for the kingdom of God, which, happy accident, is exactly what Jesus comes preaching, isn't it? Remember back in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Jesus came preaching, repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent of what? Or repent of following yourself, of making up the rules and following your rules instead of following his rules. Submit. Repent of not submitting. Repent of not giving everything over. That's exactly what Joseph of Arimathea was thinking. So where's his heart at? You've already seen Mark open up the women's hearts for us. And maybe we got a pretty clear picture of, of what they were feeling, where their faith was. That They're holding Jesus at a distance. But where's Joseph of Arimathea? Well, his heart is open. And in Mark, an open heart, God can do anything with that. He can change that person from the inside out. And watch it here in Mark 16. He's going to do it with Joseph of Arimathea. He takes this guy who has the world to lose. And he makes him a devoted Jesus follower. Isn't that amazing? This guy was willing to sell out everything to follow Jesus. Let me show you. Look at that. He was a respected member of the council in verse 43. His buddies, his peers, all the ones that held sway over Israel, are the ones who voted to convict Jesus of death. Are they going to be kind to one of their own members who betrays that, who speaks up against it, who shows with his life that he disagrees with them? They're going to hate him, aren't they? Because he indicts what they did. By his actions, he's calling them wrong. He's calling what they did sinful. By his actions. Could that cost him everything? It absolutely could cost him his life. It absolutely could cost him his reputation. We don't know what happens to Joseph of Arimathea after this. He's wealthy. He has his own tomb. It's a brand new tomb, too. I so like, he's ancestors aren't in this tomb, so he bought this tomb. He's a wealthy, well-respected leader in Israel. And he puts all that stuff on a shelf and says, like Paul does in Philippians 38, all that's rubbish in comparison to Jesus. I'll take him over all that stuff any day. Isn't that amazing? This guy who hasn't seen very many of Jesus' miracles, We're not told about him throughout any of the Gospels outside of this this reference here at the end of Jesus' life. He is a Jerusalem Jew. Jesus doesn't spend very much time in Jerusalem at all throughout his lifetime doing miracles and teaching. It's not safe for him to do that. We don't know anything about this guy. So where does he come from? He kind of comes out of left field, but he's ready to devote his life to Christ. And Mark kind of leaves it with you here after example after example after example of people in his gospel who are willing to give over everything for Christ, who are willing to deny self and become a disciple. Mark kind of leaves these, this last two people groups with you. And he says, what are you going to do? Are you going to be like the women who hold Jesus at a distance? Are you going to be like Joseph of Arimathea who is willing to throw away everything? For Jesus. He took courage, also in verse 43, and went to Pilate. He asked for Jesus' body. Now, why did did he have to be courageous to do that, you think? Well, Pilate's a Roman. He's a Roman governor who's just consented to Jesus' death because he was told Jesus is an insurrectionist. It's the one thing the Romans can't stand. You can have any other sin in the world if you're a Roman any other sin, they, they'll, they'll allow. They don't care about greed, gluttony, immorality. They don't care about anything. But if you speak up against Rome, they'll knock you down in a heartbeat. And that's what Pilate was told Jesus has done here. And so as a member of the Sanhedrin, he's not just sacrificing his reputation and his, pro- his professional reputation. He's not just sacrificing that. When he comes to Jesus and aligns himself in Pilate's eyes with Jesus' cause, he align- his physical existence, his physical body is in danger as well because it's not that big of a leap for Pilate to say, Jesus was an insurrectionist and so were all of his followers, right? Joseph of Arimathea is there. He's put himself squarely. I mean just as loud and and, and uh, just as loud as possible has put himself squarely in Jesus's camp at all cost to himself. He's completely fine with paying that cost. Do, do you see how Joseph of Arimathea needs to be a model for us? We need to be okay giving everything over as long as we can keep Christ. He's worth whatever we have to give up to keep him. So verse 45 says, when he had learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. He goes over to the centurion. The centurion's job, he, this is the guy that Rome had appointed to make sure that Jesus is dead. So a lot of people say, oh, well, maybe Jesus swooned. Maybe he passed out on the cross and He wasn't really dead, so he woke up three days later and he's okay. That doesn't make sense on the face of it. But it's this guy's job, this Roman centurion. He has crucified probably in his time a couple hundred maybe. But certainly Rome throughout its five centuries uh, of existence crucified thousands of people. You know how many of them swooned or passed out on the cross? None. None of them lived through it. Not a single one of them. This guy is an eyewitness. Mark says to us that Jesus is really, literally dead. So Joseph brings us a linen shroud and he, he takes him away. He puts him in a, in, a, in a tomb and he rolls the rock against the tomb. I'm assuming with some soldier's help. The ladies see what happens. Chapter 16, verse 1, says when the Sabbath was passed. So Saturday night at 6 p.m., the ladies go into Jerusalem and they start buying spices and stuff to anoint Jesus' body, but they don't have time to get back to the grave uh, before sunset, I guess. And so they come early Sunday morning. Mary Magdalene married the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they may go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. So it's sunrise. Right now they're they're making their way to the tomb. And they're having this conversation. These three ladies are, who's going to roll the stone away for us? I don't know how big the stone is. The tombs there, uh, I'm told, are, are fairly small. The entranceway, at least, is fairly small. So a man would need to stoop in to get under under the doorway, and so. It, but still, a me-sized rock. That's a pretty big rock, isn't it? It's not moved by one man. It's not moved by two men. It's moved by a group of men. And so these ladies are thinking, well, how are we going to roll the rock away? Who's, who's going to do this for us? They round the corner, and they see the rock's already been rolled away. And so they think, huh, well, this is weird. And Luke doesn't, or Mark doesn't tell us uh, that, that they have this discussion. I would have been thinking, well, who did this? You know, you start looking around for somebody, but they don't do that. They just walk into the tomb, and they look up, And there sitting where Jesus' body had once lain is a young man. And he says, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. The ladies had to be like, yes, (laughs) yeah, we are. You're like, this is, huh, how'd you know? He says, well, he's not here, right? And he points to where Jesus' body had laid too. Because Mark wants us to see yet another eyewitness that Jesus has been resurrected. The angel serves as yet another eyewitness. He wasn't there. And so he says, look, he's gone. His body's not here. He's been resurrected and he's gone into Galilee to meet you like he said he would. Go tell Peter and the other disciples. You remember what they do? What do the women do? Well, look at what he says in verse 8. Mark chapter 16, verse 8. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. This is the interesting point, though. And this is why I think that Mark wants us to see these women in somewhat of a negative light. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They didn't say anything. They didn't obey what the angels said. They didn't obey what Jesus had said, because he said, meet me in Galilee, because I'll be in Galilee after the resurrection. They didn't do any of those things. And they're just so astonished and terrified that it kind of cripples them, doesn't it? That's what fear does. It's really the only thing fear does well is it cripples us. But faith enables us to go out, doesn't it? It enables us to do things and live and breathe and make impacts in people's life. But fear only cripples. And they're crippled here with with their fear, their astonishment. So I think Mark wants us to see this guy, Joseph of Arimathea, who has Everything everything to lose, professionally as well as physically, has put everything on the line and is happy to do so. Almost does it without a second thought. He's a secret disciple while Jesus is alive. Now that Jesus has been crucified, he does the unthinkable. He follows a dead Savior in the hopes that he'll be resurrected. Isn't that phenomenal? Who does that? Who follows a crucified Person, Only one man I know, Joseph of Arimathea. His faith, I mean, he just steps out of this incredible faith. While the people who ought to have had that faith don't. It's very odd, isn't it? Mark's very ironic here. And so, I think he wants us to see this this give and take here. Now, some of you are looking in your Bibles and you're seeing... Uh, right, uh, right above verse 9, that some of the earliest manuscripts do not include Mark 16, through 20, right? You probably got that in your text. I just, so, <laughs> Sinaiticus, we have a couple of very old manuscripts of the entire Bible, right? Old Testament, New Testament, we have some of those very old manuscripts. There's, there's three of them, Sinaiticus, Alexandrinus, and uh, Vaticanus. Vaticanus and Sinaiticus don't have Mark 16, 9 through 20. Although Sinaiticus has left room for it in the scroll. Does that make sense? Like, it ends Mark 16 at verse 8. But then there's this big blank spot where 9 through 20 could fit, and then it goes on into Luke, which is weird, right? Because So whoever transcribed that Sinaiticus manuscript was aware that this ending was there but didn't include it because they were unsure that it really belonged. All that to say, I think it really belongs. If it doesn't belong, we don't lose anything, but I think it really does belong. Here's why. Mark has been laser focused, has he not, on proving to us that Jesus is the Christ. He wants you to see that and, and be so rock solid in your, uh, in, in your faith there because of the evidence that he's provided that you will not Disavow Jesus. It seems very, very odd to me that he would stop short of showing the risen Christ. That doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I think I think Mark would have done that. Um, there's a couple other things that we need probably need to talk about there, but we're kind of running out of time, so we're going to move past that. I think it belongs <laughs> Mark 16:9 through 20. I think I think Mark really wrote these words. So let's deal with them. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he's talking about Jesus, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, what? They wouldn't believe it. So Mary finally gets up the gumption to go tell Peter and the disciples what she had seen. And you know what they say? Get out of here. He's not really raised. We don't believe that. We saw him die. We know where he's at. He's in the tomb. Stop being crazy, Mary. Listen to this, though. In verse 12, After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. Luke records this for us. the The two guys that are walking on the road to Emmaus. You remember this story? The two disciples that are walking on the road to Emmaus. They're walking along, and Jesus comes in some other form uh, he's hidden his face from them so they don't they don't see they don't they don't get that it's jesus and uh he's, he, jesus says well what are you guys talking about they saying, well where have you been you've been hiding under a rock the jesus of nazareth has been crucified and the whole city's in uproar over this uh and he starts breaking open the scriptures to them and i love what they said that he said didn't when he was when he was breaking scripture to open to us didn't our hearts burn within us you remember that? So that, that's these two disciples that he's referencing here. Um, and so these guys, in verse 13, they went back and they told the rest of the disciples, but they didn't believe them either. Where are the disciples' faith? It's on the, the I mean, just the bottom level, isn't it? It's hit rock bottom. Now they've got verified evidence from eyewitnesses that they trust. These guys are in their inner circle. Mary Magdalene was healed of seven demons. She's been following Jesus from the very beginning. These two other disciples may have been two of the twelve. These are people that they trust. But when they hear that Jesus has been resurrected, they just can't wrap their minds around it. They refuse to believe. Verse 14, Afterward, he appeared to the eleven to the eleven themselves, as they were reclining at the table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Sure he did. Because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Our faith needs to be so rock solid because we have evidence. He's not expecting you to believe in Him without any evidence. He said, here's a plethora of evidence. Here's 26 miracles, Mark would say. Here's all kinds of teaching. Here's several eyewitnesses to His resurrection. The greatest miracle that could possibly ever be imagined, right? Here's the evidence. Build your faith on that. And when you do, it ought to be rock solid. Well worth giving up everything. Professionally, as well as physically. For Verse 15, and he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And, the, though, and those signs will accompany, and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons, they will speak in tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick. And they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. He says, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm giving you all these signs. People want evidence, right? You want evidence that Jesus really is real. He really is who he says he is. Again, he doesn't expect you to believe that without evidence he's saying here's a whole lot of evidence these guys can cast out demons they can heal the sick they can remember when paul was bit by that uh, viper in acts 28 and all the people thought oh man he survived the shipwreck only to be bit by a viper this guy must be an awful person he must be a murderer or something and then paul doesn't die and they thought he must be a god the signs are working right now people are starting to listen those people on malta listen to what paul said right because of the things he did, remember he healed uh, the the governor's uh, was it his father, and and then he gets bit by the viper, and all these signs are working. They're accompanying what they're saying. Our faith is built on evidence. Don't let anybody tell you Christianity doesn't have evidence. It's built on evidence. Some of it, some of its evidence you can't see anymore. Eyewitness testimonies uh, to to the risen Lord, for example. But it's built on evidence. He doesn't expect you to believe anything just on face value. He expects you to look at the evidence and come to the reasoned conclusion. That's what Mark's presented for us over the last, I think, 35 weeks or so. It's been a great study, hasn't it? But that's what Mark's been trying to get us to see. Here's the evidence. What are you going to do with them? Is he God? Yes. You cannot walk away from Mark thinking that Jesus is not God. Not if you you take him at at face value here. Is he God? Absolutely. What are you going to do with him? The ball's in your court. What are you going to do with him? Are you going to completely give your life over to him? Completely submit to him? Leaving everything over in his hands. Throwing away everything else that matters to you, both physically and professionally. None of that stuff matters anymore. Or are, or are you going to act like his death meant nothing? Because there's no middle ground. So the decision's yours. What are you going to do with it? Mark ends his gospel here by saying, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. It's at that point the point of baptism, that we submit to Him and He saves us. And so that's the decision, that's the question you have to answer now. Is He God? You have to say yes. There's no other way around it. The evidence, all the evidence points in that direction completely. So is He God? Yes. What are you going to do with Him? If you're ready to take Him on, to submit to Him, you do that through the power of baptism... And with the added benefit, the amazing thing here is it washes your sins away. And you can have relationship with the God of the universe. Isn't that kind of phenomenal? That ought to blow our minds every time we think about it, that we get to have relationship with Him. So what are you going to do? Is it time in your life to submit to Him, like Joseph of Arimathea does here, giving over everything and saying, it's yours, professionally, physically, I... None of that stuff matters. I want you, and I'm willing to give everything else up. Or are you still going to hold them at arm's distance? The decision's yours. If you want to be saved this morning, we want to aid you in that in any way we can. We want to study with you. We want to think through what it means to be saved. We can talk about baptism and study scriptures about that if you want to. If you've already made that decision this morning, and you just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be, won't you come as we stand and sing? The reward is for us
2: with the ripening or for light. Faithful to him will he find us watching with our lamps all and bright. Oh, can we say we are ready, brother? Ready for the soul, my own? Say, will he find you and me still watching? Waiting, waiting when the Lord shall come. Have we been true to the trust he left us? Do we seek to do our best? If in our hearts there is God condemns us, We shall have a glorious rest. Oh, can we say we are ready, brother, ready for the sword? Say, well, who find you and me still watching, waiting, waiting when the Lord shall come? Blessed are those whom the Lord finds watching. In his glory, they shall share. If he shall come at the dark or oh, midnight, will he find us watching him? Oh, can we say, I'm ready, brother, ready for this surprise? Right say, will he find human beings still watching?
1: Please you.
4: Good morning, church family. I hope everybody's doing all right. If you're visiting with us, we are glad you decided to worship with us this morning. If you can take a moment to fill out a visitor card that should be right in front of you in the pew. Uh, please fill that out and put it inside one of the the, uh, donation box. It's good to have uh, guests of Angie Dunphy, Tracy, and Neil visiting with us from New Mexico. So get an opportunity to say hey to them and give them a nice uh, warm welcome. Also, VBS is uh, starting at 6 o'clock. Wow. It's finally here. So uh, looking forward to seeing everybody at 6 o'clock this evening. Um, And then Monday through Thursday, it starts at 6.30. So please mark that down in your calendars. Uh, If you're wanting to help with Vacation Bible School, maybe it's in games, maybe it's in the kitchen, uh, maybe it's uh, for crafts. We still could use your help. Uh, There will be adult classes uh, for the adults as well. Um, But if you're still wanting to help, uh, please see me. Uh, There will be a VBS meeting for the teachers. And also, to skit help in the big room. Um, we shine big room. If you uh, if you're teaching or helping with skits, please meet in there after services. Also, there's a fishing bonfire at Galloway's Pond this coming Saturday at five thirty. If you're wanting to go to that, so please sign up on the foyer board so that way we can can prepare accordingly for that. Also, uh, remember continue to keep clinton and family in your prayers at this time Uh, clinton has written the church uh, thank you letter i'll read to you now it says to rome church of christ thank you so much for the prayers hugs love shown during mom's hospital stay in passing we also want to thank you for the gifts flowers and food for the past week it is so much appreciated love clinton and family and this will be posted out in the four-year board. Remember continue to keep Judy Gerald in your prayers. She's having eye surgery this Wednesday, so keep her in your prayers. Victor Bragg is Hilda's brother, and he's having surgery, hernia surgery in, at Cleveland Clinic. So remember to keep Victor in your prayers. Dottie Diamond, which is Terry Diamond's wife, has lung cancer. So remember to keep her in your prayers. Larry Faulkner is now at home and is doing somewhat better but remember to continue to keep Larry in your prayers. Robin Seiler has requested prayers for David Berry. Him and his wife are expecting their first child, so pray that everything goes smoothly. Um, Due to COVID restrictions, uh, please bring your favorite store-bought cookies. We've had a lot of people ask about the cookies uh, this year, but uh, please bring your favorite store-bought cookies for VBS. Um, This is for everyone's safety. Uh, and that's thank you from the VBS kitchen crew. Brian Ward said he'd be the COVID cookie tester, um, so he'll be he'll be doing that. But uh, that's all the announcements I have. Um, we'll sing one more song, be dismissed in prayer. Hold on, Gary's got an announcement.
0: Mary's been telling me for. This week they've had meetings and we're all aware of the COVID and everything and everything. Everything they're trying to do is to have less hands touch each individual thing. And then there's concerns about the children with masks. There will be masks provided. There will be masks at the door. If your children come and you want them to have a mask, that's not a problem. We'll have the mask available for them. If everybody wants to wear a mask, that is fine. But we don't want nobody to leave if you feel uncomfortable. If there's anything else to be help in this, please tell us. Uh, We're just as scared of it as anybody else. Thank you.
1: Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 510. Sing the first two verses. First two verses of 510 on Jordan's stormy banks, and then Brother Casey Baker will have a prayer. On Jordan's stormy banks I
2: stand and cast a wish for life to take a step and happy land where my those are. We will rest in the fair and happy land, by and by, just across on the the evergreen shore. shore, sing the song.
7: Let us pray. Father, we come to you now thankful again for another opportunity to come here and gather in your name, Father, and sing praises to you, Father, and learn from your word. Father, we thank you for the lesson from Chris today. We thank you for all the volunteers, the teachers for Vacation Bible School, Father. We we ask for your blessing on them and on their efforts as as we reach out to the community and try to to bring our our youth closer to you, Lord. Father, we we ask a prayer for comfort and healing for those on the sick list. Father, we pray for your comfort to, to Clinton and family at Carol's passing. Father, be with them. Give them strength. Be with the whole congregation, Father, as we go throughout this next week. Keep us safe. Watch over us. Forgive us when we sin, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.